right, well, we are in the theme of soul renovations. Um, and I know without a doubt that all of us are aware that if we don't get our soul right, it impacts the rest of our world. Okay, your soul is your mind, will, and your emotions. <laughs> your thinking, your choosing, and your feeling. All right? How you think, the decisions you make, and how you feel. And so those three things, if we don't get them right, uh, it's not a good day. Things don't look good. Oh, we have the full James family in the house. I didn't recognize you over there. They've just had their little baby boy. Lincoln, number two, a family of four now. And Romy was texting me going, I don't know how you did this four times. <laughs> to be honest, I don't either. Um, but motherhood's like that. It's a bit of a blur. Isn't that right? Every mum said. They're not listening because they're tuning out. Right. Okay, so... Where are we? Yes, our thinking, choosing, and feeling. And so it's really important we get that, that right. And we're talking about soul renovations. So today I'm actually going to talk about a term that I made up. I thought it was quite cool. It may be somewhere else. Maybe I have ripped it off from somewhere unknowingly. I'm talking about soul hygiene. Hmm. Soul hygiene. Have you heard of the term sleep hygiene? A few people, people who've studied psychology... So how do you keep things clean and in order? So I'm talking about soul hygiene. How do we keep things in order and hygienic in our soul? Um, I've got a list of recommended readings for anyone who actually wants to take this seriously. And um, it's also on the Bible app. But these are all books I have personally read and recommend to you around the area of the soul. Okay? So take a snapshot of that. Get on the Bible app and 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 have a look at that and make sure you read some of those. Otherwise, just be a victim to your own life. That's fine. The um, first scripture I want to start with is out of Matthew in the Message Bible where Jesus makes this amazing, beautiful statement, which is one of my favorite verses. It says, are you tired? Are you worn out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. He says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The title of my message this morning is really a question. Are you in a rhythm or a rat race? Are you in a rhythm or a rat race? It says there he won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on us, but he does say, come and work with me. So there must be a rhythm in the work. It's not about avoiding work. It's not about avoiding all the responsibilities. It's about a rhythm. And so soul hygiene is about rhythm. I want to ask you, are you in a rhythm or a rat race? First thing we need to do is determine what our priorities are. What are your priorities? We've all heard the analogy probably of the rocks, the big rocks, the medium rocks, and the pebbles and the sand. What do you put into a jar first if you want to fill it successfully? Well, you put the big rocks in first, and then you put the, the next size, and then the next size, and then the sand goes in around the end 
and you've got it all in there. But if you start with the sand, you'll never get the big rocks in at the end. So you need to establish what your big rocks in life are. What are your priorities? Because too often we fall into the rat race because we've foregone, foregone our priorities. And so my priorities are, firstly, God, a devotion to him, a relationship with him. I know that everything comes out of that. That rock has to go in first. Has to go in first. Then family. My marriage is the first ministry I have in my family. Too many times couples get it wrong and they put their children first. You actually need to put your spouse first. That's the godly order of things. Then children. Then your extended family. All right? And there are husbands doing these ones. There are wives doing these ones. Get your mother out of our bedroom. Okay? Maybe for someone that's all you needed to hear this morning. (laughs) Then health. Who knows that if I fall apart, I can't actually do anything else. Health is a big rock. And then career. But do you know what? The career actually needs to be my ministry. It's not just a thing that puts bread on the table. For it to be of value in eternity and in the kingdom, I need to see it as a calling, no matter where I am. Otherwise, I'm just a part of the rat race. Okay? So it's about rhythms. I want to talk this morning, I want us to consider this idea that no matter how much is on our plate, that we are in a supernatural capacity. That we're in a supernatural rhythm that we have a supernatural level of productivity. You know, you might be really awesome and really clever and really charismatic and able to run rings around everyone in your workplace, but what if you tapped into a supernatural productivity that went beyond your own ability? So that's in come to me, work with me, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I want to talk about a supernatural joy and strength that comes in the unforced rhythms of grace. The rhythm of grace. So, four rhythms. The first one. This is going to be practical. Is that okay? Sometimes when we talk about the soul, it's like somewhere up there. But it's actually very practical. And as I say all the time, God's really smart. And there's nothing that you wrestle with that is found outside of the Bible. All your answers are found in scripture, including soul hygiene and practical tips to get there. And the first one is establishing a daily rhythm. A daily rhythm. First and foremost, spiritual disciplines. Daily. Daily. If you think you can get soul hygiene without establishing daily spiritual disciplines, you're delusional. Show me a Christian who doesn't read their Bible every day and doesn't pray every day. And I'll show you a Christian who is given to temptation, fear, intimidation, powerlessness. Show me a Christian who reads their Bible and prays every day and I'll show you someone who is unshakable. If you have time to go to the gym, if you have time 
to scroll through social media. You have time for the scripture and for prayer. Daily, daily. If you want soul hygiene, daily rhythms in the disciplines. Do you know there are more than 12 spiritual disciplines? There are so many, but the ones we need to incorporate daily are word and prayer. And the thing that wraps that up is solitude, getting away with God. Where is that place you go every single day to be alone with God? Your chair, maybe it's a special chair. For me, it's a special place. Sam decided that he wanted a pool table. And so he evicted me from my special place and put a big sucker TV in the middle of my secret place. And so I've been like a sojourner wandering through the house trying to find a new place. But I finally found one, thank the Lord, and dragged him outside a few weeks ago. We planted a garden bed outside my new window that I look out. And, um, but where is that place? You know, I wrote this in my journal after reading about Jesus who was often going to his secret place. And I wrote this, where is your olive grove? Jesus used to go to a place called the Mount of Olives, an olive grove, Gethsemane. Where is your olive grove, church? The place you often go. The place you're known to go. The grove of olives. Olives, a fruit that is pressed for extraction. (laughs) The product then is medicinal, nutritional, and costly. Where is your olive grove? Where is your Mount of Olives? The place you visit alone or with just a few? The place you visit in the dark, in the early, in the late? The place of preparation, invigoration, and communion? The place that the Father meets you? Where's that place for you, your olive grove? Daily rhythms. But you know, there are also other daily rhythms like sleep. Scientists tell us that the earlier you go to bed before 12, the more quality your sleep becomes. Your quality of sleep is better before 12 midnight. Scientists also tell us that the morning hours of sunlight are better for your psyche, your physical, all of your functions than the afternoon sun. So the ones who wake up at the crack of noon miss the best sunlight, miss the best hours of the day. You can only get up early if you go to bed early. So how do you have soul hygiene? Well, you do practical things like sleep well. What about diet? What about diet? Our bodies are not made to process excess amounts of dairy, gluten, sugar, fried food, heavy uh, meats. We're just not made to process those things. And so we wonder why we're sluggish. We wonder why all these things are happening. It could be something as practical as going back to what the Bible says about how we should eat. Why are we overcomplicating, overmedicating, overspiritualizing something that could just be, hey, you know what? Sleep well and eat well. It could be as simple as that. What about exercise? As little as 20 minutes of day can increase your lifespan. Increase your life expectancy. What you put in is what you get out. If you put in energy, you get out energy. 
It's good for flexibility, it's good for heart, it's good for everything, but we're preferring to go off to the doctor and get a medicine for something instead of actually sleeping well, eating well, and doing a little bit of movement every day. We are sedentary these days. And then look at all the soul issues that are going around. We sit around all day. <laughs> Let's work these daily habits into our lives. How have I only got four minutes left? Oh, my word. Family time every day. Family time every day. Deuteronomy 6, Moses is giving his last address before he goes on to be with the Lord. And he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord alone. You shall love him with all your heart, soul, and strength. These words which I command to you today will be in your heart and teach them diligently to your children. You and now he lays out a daily rhythm for you. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And in his book, Think Orange, Reggie Joyner breaks these down beautifully. He talks about when you rise up, the breakfast bench, when you're sitting with your children, you're their coach. Drive time, when you have a captive audience, you're their friend. Dinner table, okay, no more TV dinners or you get your own. Dinner table, daily, where you are their teacher. And then tuck in time, when you lie down, where you are their intimate counselor, where they disclose things, daily, daily rhythms. Daily rhythm. Can I tell you, godly men and women aren't formed by accident. They're formed by parents who are intentional every single day. Sam and I have a daily routine once all of that's done and the dishes are put away and everything's clean. We turn off all the overhead lights or we put them on dim and we light candles and we have a cup of tea and we debrief the day. And often we sit down, look at each other and go, oh, hi, what's your name again? Daily, daily rhythms. Daily rhythms if you want soul hygiene. Weekly rhythms. What is your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? What is your weekly rhythm? What is your weekly rhythm? Sam and I just went away for a couple of days and we, we ask ourselves this question, what are we changing? What are we, not for the sake of change, but for the sake of growing and being more effective and more productive. And we restructured our weekly rhythms. What do we do on Monday? What do we do on Tuesday? What do we do on, and so these weekly rhythms, we can so fill our lives and the lives of our children with meaningless busyness and dangerous distractions. I want to ask you, what value-adding things have you incorporated into your weekly rhythm? Your weekly rhythm. The Bible talks a lot about this concept called the Sabbath. There are so many scriptures there. In Genesis 2, it says, The heavens and the earth and the hosts of them were finished. God has just finished creation. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and rested on the seventh day from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he rested from all the work which God had created and made. Why did God rest? Does God get tired? Bible tells us our, our Lord neither sleeps nor slumbers. He doesn't get tired. Why did he rest? 
He created that day of rest because that was the day that he had communion with Adam. That was it. the purpose of rest is not just to fill your life with a bunch of other meaningless things. The purpose of rest is to commune with God. And if you can do that, you will be full in your soul. Even in the, mo- the years of depletion, and boy have I had a year like that, when I hold on to those moments of communion with God as a rock, as a priority, my soul is refueled weekly, every single week. The, soul, the Sabbath actually carries a productive favor. Did you know that? Um, one of the best books you can read is by Robert Morris. It's called Take the Whole Day Off. Sound good? Take the Whole Day Off. And he teaches about this concept of the Sabbath. And he actually proves throughout history from the military to entrepreneurship to politics to all sorts of spheres of influence, the people that incorporate the Sabbath day and keep it, whether they're believers or not, actually have multiplied productivity over their competitors who don't. Because I had this revelation that the Sabbath day, that one day that I give to God to be with Him, to be uncluttered and undistracted, where I turn off my phone, where I disconnect, where I find myself with Him for a day. When I do that, my other six days are more productive. And I had this revelation that the Sabbath day is just like a tithe. Don't we give a tithe in faith? We give a tithe and we're like, if I give 10%, I believe that God will make the 90% more blessed. Well, it's the same with the Sabbath day. If I give him that one day, he'll make the other six days more effective than I could do with seven. And so it's this faith relationship where I'm coming back into God and going, I give you this day, this day of communion. For most of us, the obvious day is Sunday where we give him Sunday, we bring our families into the house of God, we're found in worship, then we go and we eat good food and we celebrate with each other and we rest. Have a day of rest. Did you know in the Old Testament it was punishable by law if you didn't take a day off? What does that mean? You hustle six and you rest one. Hustle six, rest one. An annual rhythm. What are your holidays? Do you know, and if my staff can just pretend I'm not talking about them at the moment, one of my greatest frustrations with really young people is that they take holidays when they're falling apart. What about planning ahead and going, this is a rock, and I'm making this a tradition. I'm making this a tradition because God actually instituted seven feasts every single year because he's kind. He knows you can't get through a year and be sane at the end of it if you don't intentionally celebrate and have celebrations, festivals, and rests. But you need to do it as a priority in advance. If you're just doing it because you're falling apart, you're never going to get ahead. You must make this a priority. Annual rhythms. Make everything an excuse to celebrate. We have holiday destinations we go to every single year. We make a big deal of every birthday, every Christmas. 
We celebrate Passover and do it as a tradition. We celebrate Mother's Day and Father's Day. And now that my children are a little bit older, we've started a new tradition where we spend up big and we go out for Mother's Day and Father's Day. We put on our best and we, we go out somewhere nice and we celebrate that way. It's a new tradition. What about marriage retreats? Sam and I will go away a couple of times a year just for two nights without the kids. And you know how good that is for them? It's so good for them to see mum and dad go away and make each other a priority. Do you do that in your marriage? If you don't, my next point is the seasons of life will take you by surprise. If you don't invest properly, the seasons of life will take you by surprise. There are seasons. There's a season when you're single. There's a season called dinks. Have you heard of dinks? Double income, no kids. Who remembers those days? Anyone like when you had your first child go, what on earth did I do with all my time and money? You think you've got no money, sweetheart? Be quiet. Double income, no kids is a season. Every parent is laughing, yep. Then there's married with children. Then there's empty nesters. Empty nesters, I love watching people navigate this. Because if you have not had marriage retreats, this season will shock you. If you have not invested into your marriage and your children start leaving home, all of a sudden you look at that old wrinkly guy and go, who the heck are you? Okay, that handsome specimen. Don't worry, he's looking at me too going... But if you haven't invested into your marriage, when the kids start leaving and you're left alone, that's going to catch you by surprise. Who is this person? I don't even like you. I've put up with you for 18 years, but I don't actually know who you are. You need to invest into your marriage. I've seen it over and over. Plan for them. Be sober-minded, purposed. Don't avoid the reality of each new season. Plan for it. Look ahead and plan for it. Now, God actually talked about a Sabbath year. Did you know that? Every six years, we would work our fields, and on the seventh year, we would rest our fields for a whole year. A whole year. Can you imagine just going to your boss here? I'm out for a year. Every seven years. What God's talking about is the seasons of life. He's talking about incorporating appropriate rest into the seasons of life of life. Ezekiel, uh, sorry, Exodus 23 talks about it. Leviticus 25 talks about it, about this pattern of rest, of genuine rest. And again, the purpose is to rejuvenate and come back to God. The Sabbath is actually a gift. It's not an obligation. If you can't take a Sabbath, I'm probably going to suggest you're struggling with pride. I'm going to suggest that your own sense of productivity is eclipsing your need for God. If you can't rest with him, if you can't actually go, I'm going to put everything aside for a moment and schedule these rhythms into my life, I'm going to suggest you probably need to take that to God. Ask him to deal with that in your life. A rhythm, weekly, daily, annually, 
and in the seasons, rhythms. It's a gift. It's not an obligation. Jesus honored the Sabbath. It says in Luke 14 that he came as was his custom on the Sabbath day to the temple. But he also broke the Sabbath. Here's the loophole. He broke the Sabbath when it was necessary because we can go the extreme opposite. I know people who will not budge on their Sabbath. I'm like, all right, that's very legalistic then, isn't it? Because Jesus was like, this man is crippled. It's a Sabbath day, so the law um, rebukes that I would heal him on the Sabbath because that's considered work. And yet he went ahead and healed people on the Sabbath. Can I tell, I don't know whether you realize this, I just realized that the reason they crucified Jesus was for breaking the Sabbath. That was the legal grounds they had to crucify him. If you go back through the Gospels, that's the reason they had grounds to crucify him, because he broke the Sabbath. And so the thing is, when something comes up, it's okay to attend to it, all right? If something comes up, it's okay to attend to it. The profound Cam and Amanda, we were having breakfast with them the other day, talking about this concept. And Cam goes, yeah, it's important to have boundaries, but even boundaries have gates. Okay, sometimes you need to go through the gate, all right? Honor the boundary, but sometimes. And so this is the thing, is that the Sabbath was made for man, the man was not made for Sabbath, okay? Don't let it become something that is legalistic because the purpose of it is connection with God. And so this is what Robert Morris says in the book, Take the Whole Day Off. He's like, because Jesus says to the Pharisees when they get upset at him for breaking the Sabbath, he's like, you guys, you've lost the point. This man needed help. Which of you, if your sheep fell into a well on the Sabbath day, wouldn't retrieve the sheep? Of course you would retrieve the sheep. And yet this son of Abraham needs help. So I'm going to help him on the Sabbath. And so what Robert Morris says in the book, he says, but if your sheep falls into the well every Sabbath, you've got a personal management issue that you need to address. Okay? Address the sheep and get him out. But if he gets in there every single Sabbath, you've got a problem in your own self-management. So just maybe, I don't know, put a barbed wire fence around the well. I don't know. Do something. So the man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man because... The Sabbath is a time of recreation and communion with God. It's the only place where we find peace, joy, strength, calling, where we can forgive, where we can let go of bitterness, where he can speak to us, where he can envision us again, where we can create. You know, people who don't have these margins and these rhythms don't have vision, they don't have creativity, they're just running the rat race. But you are a creative being, you're made in the image of God, you're meant to be bursting with vision, ideas, creativity, you're meant to be sparking all the time, no matter what's on your plate. You're meant to have bright eyes and a smile and a skip in your step, no matter what's going on, you can be going through hell. But when you find yourself in a Sabbath rhythm, daily, weekly, annually, you find yourself being filled with the vision and the purpose and the love and the grace, the unforced rhythms of grace.